0: We're in the middle. This is number nine, by the way, in our growth series. Um, And we are working through the fruit of the Spirit. And today, we're actually going to finish the growth series next Sunday morning. Uh, We're going to conclude it. It will be ten messages in all. And I was going to conclude it this morning, but as I began to prepare and look at the fruit of faithfulness, I just felt like the Spirit of the Lord said... Preach just on the fruit of faithfulness today. And then we'll conclude it next week with the fruit of gentleness and self-control. So we're, we're going to finish this whole series. Uh, how many of you enjoyed the growth series? The Lord has spoken to us. It's been good for us. Uh, actually, one of the things that we would like to do, we'd like to develop a workbook uh, to go with this series uh, so that we would be able to have the video and a workbook and maybe even a teacher's workbook workbook, and we would be able to make that available for people, maybe even people at other churches, to be able to have a good solid foundational type series that they could be able to teach in their church. That's one of our hopes that we can do with this series. So we're, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we want to deal with the faithfulness. Just think about faithfulness just for a moment. God calls you and I to be faithful. But here's the problem. By nature, we are not faithful. And our old nature, it's not faithful. And the reason is our old nature is selfish and self-centered, self-serving. We want what we want. And so what happens is that because our old nature is self-serving, then we do things as long as it serves us. And then as soon as it gets tough or difficult or uncomfortable, then it's no longer serving us, and so we're ready to quit. But when you're faithful, you do it even when it's uncomfortable because you have a new purpose and a new meaning behind what you're doing. So what would be a good definition of being faithful? Well, faithfulness, it means enduring to the end. It means never giving up, remaining consistent, and being faithful no matter what. And what do we know about the Lord? Well, look, if you would, to Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. I love this. It says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. And what he's trying to tell us is that this is who God is. This is his nature. He is a faithful God. And he can't be unfaithful. Now, a lot of times people say, well, hold it things happen in my life that I didn't like. So how are you saying that God is faithful? You know, he has never broken a promise. He has never broken a promise, but we have to understand what his promises are. He didn't promise that you wouldn't go through some difficult times. In fact, he said, unfortunately, in this world, you will have tribulations. How many of you have fulfilled that word? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's not a hard one to, go to, to fulfill. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have, will have difficult times. But sears this conflict. The Holy Spirit, remember the fruit of the Spirit, if we abide in Him and, and His Word abides in us, as the Holy Spirit abides in us, then the fruit of the Spirit comes, comes in our life. It's not something we're having to make happen, but the Spirit of God produces fruit. Now, I want us to go back and look at the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We're working from Galatians chapter 5. We're going to go from verse 19 down to verse 23. Now, the works, notice it's works, and the fruit of the Spirit produces fruit. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are? Adultery. Everybody knows what adultery is. Fornication, kind of an old-fashioned term for the new king. It means sex outside of marriage. Uncleanness. Lewdness. All, that's kind of, those, are both, those are both general terms for sexual immorality of all kinds. Idolatry. Sorcery, which is the same thing as, as witchcraft. Hatred. Contentions. Not getting along, not being able to get along with anybody. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, we would call that in our terms a quick temper. Selfish ambition, dissensions, always causing problems. Heresies, which is the same thing as wrong teaching. Envies, murder, drunkenness, revelries, that's like Mardi Gras Gras parties, uh, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's the opposite. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. We talked about that the first week. Long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. We talked about that last week. Faithfulness. We're going to talk about that today. And then next week, gentleness and self-control against such. There is no law. So... These are the fruit of the Spirit. But did you see the difference? The flesh produces what? Works. The Spirit produces fruit. Works means it's all of us. Fruit is produced by the Spirit. And fruit is good. It's beneficial. It's helpful. It helps give life to others and to us. But works are something that we produce of our own nature, our old selfish nature. And the more you abide in His Spirit and His Spirit lives inside of you and we grow, then the fruit of the Spirit comes evident in our life. So let's talk about faithfulness. And, you know, one way to look at this is sometimes you have to identify what, are the, what I call the enemies of faithfulness. What is it that stops faithfulness from happening in our life? And if we can identify what are the enemies of faithfulness in our life, it's kind of like weeding a garden. If, If you know and are able to get the weeds out, then the good things are able to grow. And the Spirit of God can produce fruit of faithfulness, but we have to be able to identify. Again, there's this conflict old nature we want to do our own thing and and basically we give up easy we, we just give up easy I never will forget when I was growing up uh, we loved to play Monopoly uh, and there were four boys in my family one one girl my sister and we would play Monopoly and, and one of the prime rules was that you can never quit You could not quit and once your younger brother owns all of the boardwalk and park place and and most of the others and has hotels on there and you're dirt poor and you've mortgaged everything what do you want to do i want out of here i don't want my brother especially if he's younger to wipe me out that's the last thing i want but daddy always said play it to the end son if you lose, you lose, but you lose with a good attitude. And it's hard to have a good attitude towards your younger brother. I mean, you know, it's hard. I didn't realize at the time what my daddy was trying to teach me. He was trying to teach me faithfulness, steadfastness, never giving up. And it's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. I didn't see it when I was growing up. But I see it now. So I want to talk to you about four enemies of faithfulness. And I believe this can help us if you'll help let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. first enemy of faithfulness, and that is careless and rash words. Oh, my goodness. How many of you have ever said things you wish you had not said? Oh, my goodness. The old foot and the old mouth... I wish I. you know, words are hard. You know, I, I've always heard people say, words don't hurt you. I just want to say that's a bunch of baloney. Words hurt a lot. And words are important. In fact, the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. So don't ever believe that baloney about words are not important. They are important and they hurt. They can build people's lives up. They can tear them down. Words are important. You have to be careful what you say. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, talking about God's word. And when God says something, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. Like, uh, excuse me, he is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. God is always faithful to his word. He doesn't say one thing and then back up. He is faithful to his word. Now, that tells me that if I'm going to be faithful to my word, and I, that that means I'm going to have to avoid rash words. There's an amazing story back in the Old Testament. It's in, actually in 1 Samuel 14, and... Uh, the verse here is something Saul, King Saul, did. Look what he did. It says, Now the men of Israel were pressed to exhaustion that day. They'd just been fighting the Philistines. Because Saul had placed them under an oath, saying, Let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening, before I have full revenge on my enemies, so no one ate anything all day. Now that was a stupid thing to say. It was. First of all, they're in the middle of battle. And when you don't eat and you're fighting someone, you need strength and energy. And it was just a rash, stupid comment that King Saul decided he would make. And he really didn't think about it. And guess what happened? His son, Jonathan, had just finished fighting a major battle with the Philistines and won And saved the people of Israel. He literally helped them to win that battle. And when he got back to camp, he was not there when King Saul said this word about don't eat. So he got there and there was some honey. And he reached in and grabbed some honey and ate it. Quick energy food. But after he had eaten it, his men said, Oh no, you don't realize your dad, King Saul, has said that anyone who eats is under a curse of death. And so just a little bit later, King Saul found out that his son had eaten some honey. And you know what the king said? He said, I want you to kill my son. That's what he said. Just so he could fulfill his stupid, rash words. But the men, thank God, said, we're not doing it. Jonathan saved us and saved our life. And if it were not for Jonathan, we wouldn't be here. And we are not about to kill him. And we're not going to let you kill him either. Thank God his men stood up to him. And he had to eat his words. Now That's why I'm saying, you've got to be careful what you say. Sometimes you have to eat them. And here's the problem. When you make rash promises, rash words, careless words, then you gain a reputation of being unfaithful. Your word doesn't have validity to it. And you need to guard your word because one of the precious things you pass on to your children is that you are faithful to your word. And that should follow you as a reputation. He's faithful to his word. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you're not sure you can do it, say, I'm not sure I can do it. Don't make rash promises. Don't make rash words. Don't say things and then not think about everything that's going to come with that. You better be careful because what that will do, it will keep us from being unfaithful. And those rash words then will have the ability to keep us from being faithful because we're always shooting off at the mouth, not really thinking. If you say you're going to go help somebody, go help them. And if you're not sure you can help them, keep your mouth shut. Show up if you can but don't tell them you're going to and then not show up. God, and the whole reasoning is real simple. God is faithful. We just saw that in 2 Corinthians. And all through his word, he tells us he's faithful. And we are representatives of the Lord. And when we are unfaithful to our word, it reflects badly on the God that we serve. The second thing that we have to be careful of because it's an enemy of faithfulness. It's very similar to rash words, and that is unkept promises. Men, how many of you have ever promised your wife was going to do something without checking with your wife? How many of you have done something that stupid? I never will forget one time uh, there was, we were talking about something, and, and I can't remember what it was. We were, it was a meal of some kind. And I never will forget, was, I was younger. Uh, not quite as smart as I am today, but I never will forget. I, I said something, my wife would be glad to cook for that. And they all, I remember th- they said, are you sure? Oh, yeah, she'll be glad to do that. And so when I got home, I said, sweetheart, guess what? I told the men that you would be willing to cook for that. You know what she said? Good luck. I hope you can cook. I said, you can't help. She said, if you had asked me, you would have known that I already have something scheduled on that day. I can't do it. I said, what am I going to do? Do the only honorable thing that I could. Find someone else to do this. Uh, (laughs) I can't remember who I who I controlled into doing it. But it it did teach me a lesson. Don't have unkept promises. Don't make a promise. Same thing as rash words. Be careful. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, very similar. God will make it happen for he who calls you is what? He is faithful. God keeps his word. He also keeps his promises. And he doesn't make promises that he can't keep. And so I just want to encourage you that as you're walking through life, if you want to have a reputation of being faithful, And when I say faithful, I mean faithful over the long term. Anybody can start out for a while. But we want to have a reputation for being faithful. And when you fail to keep those promises, then people start saying about you, he's unfaithful, she's unfaithful. Well, why why do you say that? Well, they promised they were going to do this, and they didn't do it. I know Ms. Matheny, uh, when we got over to Africa one year uh, she, she brought all of us missionaries aside and she said, please do not make any promises to any of these pastors over here and then don't keep it because it, it reflects badly on the ministry. It reflects badly on you. So don't say something and casually, oh, I'll do this, I'll do that. You know, oh, I'll keep in touch. I'll send you an email. She said, don't do those things unless you're willing to do them. And again, it we may be sincere. And you can be real sincere when you make a promise. But if you don't keep that promise, it still breaks trust. And I just want to say this for husbands and wives here today, your relationship is built on trust. Be careful. Because if you have a husband or a wife, and they keep making and then breaking those promises, it's going to be hard to have trust in that relationship. You need to keep your promises. It means you have to weigh those promises carefully. Can I fulfill that? Can I do that? So unkept promises is an enemy of faithfulness. Third enemy of faithfulness, accumulated offenses. Oh my goodness. Accumulated offenses. Something happens, someone disappoints you, someone says something, someone does something, and it's an offense. Have you noticed how everybody is getting offended at everything? My goodness. Every day we hear on the news how somebody's offended because you said this or they said this or they did this. Have we gotten so thin-skinned that we, we can't even talk now? And accumulated offenses have a way of building up in our heart. And then what happens? Bitterness sets in. And that bitterness then, and this is what happens it taints your mind and your thoughts toward that person. And if you have a tainted mind toward that person because of those accumulated offenses, then what happens is you will start looking for problems. You will start seeing things that aren't really there. And this this happens in a marriage relationship. In fact, it happens in any kind of relationship. And I just want to encourage you don't hold offenses let them go let them go they are not worth it look what just a couple of passages look at Matthew chapter 13 Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower and the seeds he says this now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message. And immediately they receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. That's unfaithfulness. That's not being faithful. They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. And that's what we're talking about is producing fruit. The seed that fell on good ground represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. Notice why he said they, some didn't last long, because they didn't have very deep roots. And that's, in a sense, what we're trying to do in this series, is we're trying to have a growth series so that our Roots grow down deep. Where do our roots have to be? And our roots have to be in the word of God. It is the only thing that holds us steady over long term. But when we don't have deep roots, we fall away quickly. Why? Because we get easily offended. And I just want to encourage you that the offenses that come, and they do come. It's impossible to go through life and not get offended. That's just the way life is. But you don't have to hold them. That's the key. You get offended at what someone does. You get offended at what they say. You get offended because they don't do this or because they do this. But don't hold it. Let that thing go and extend grace and mercy And say, Lord, I have been forgiven of much. I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they said that. But, Lord, I just let that go in the name of Jesus. Extend to them kindness and mercy. The way you have been extended kindness and mercy. And do not go through life with accumulated offenses. Because it is what will cause you to want to give up. How many marriages have been given up on because that marriage relationship had so many accumulated offenses. The husband's mad at the wife. The wife is mad at the husband. And it's like I said before, once you get those accumulated offenses, then all of a sudden you, you, you look at that person with tainted thinking. And then they might say something totally innocent, but you take it wrong anyway. Why? Because you have accumulated offenses in your heart. Colossians 4.6 says this. It says, let your speech always be with grace. I mean, extending grace. And I love this. seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And some of you may say, well, why does my speech need to be seasoned with salt? Well, you might have to eat your words. <laughs> That's why you ought to have a good salt on it. Because it is so easy to take things wrong. You get all bent out of shape, mad at somebody because they did this and they did that. And, I can't believe they did that. And then a little bit later you find out they didn't do that. That was totally made up by somebody else. You probably have had people make up things about you. They've probably made up things you've said when you didn't say them at all. I know I've had that all the time. And so you had better extend grace. let your speech be seasoned with grace. And don't be so quick to take offense. You know, I was reading through the book of Matthew the other day, and again, I was kind of just, just I'm amazed. I marvel at how many people are getting offended over the least little thing. Like you can't talk about anything, and somebody's offended about it. But you know, it's interesting because that's one of the things Jesus said would be a characteristic of the birth pangs of his second coming. Look, if you would, to Matthew 24, verse 8 through 12. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. These are all the things that are going to kind of lead up to his second return. Then they will deliver you up into tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. It's almost like Jesus could see what was going to happen. That we would go through a period where many would be offended. And what's the end result? They'll betray one another and hate one another. Have you ever seen a time in our history where there's so many people angry and hateful at one another for things that really, they're nothing. You know, they just disagree on who who they're going to vote for and they're ready to kill somebody. Whatever hurt, happened to civil discourse and just the ability to disagree, it's like the ability to disagree on something, it's gone. Used to, you know, you and I, we could talk about something and you believe one thing, I believe the other, say, well, we just disagree on that and we go on. But now it's like everybody wants to kill one another if they don't agree with one another. It's crazy. So I just want to encourage you, don't let Offenses accumulate, especially in your marriage. But this applies to every relationship. Don't let them build. You get offended, get upset about what they do. You get upset about what they, uh, you know, what they didn't do. I, I hesitate to say this. I'm going to say it anyway. I hope I don't offend somebody again. I walked in, met my wife and I walked into uh, uh, Copeland's the other day. And we saw three or four people that we knew, you know, we had, you know, visited, went over and said hello to them and said, to oh, this one. And then somebody came over to our table and was sitting there talking with them. So we finally were able to eat. And, uh, and then I get an, an email that afternoon you walked into Copeland's and you didn't say hello to us. I can't believe a pastor like you is so self-centered. No, 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 no. I can't believe. Mad as a hornet. I wrote him back. I said, I didn't see you. I didn't tell him. I didn't know who they were. Uh, I mean, I didn't recognize the name. I, I just being honest, I didn't rec- I don't know everybody. There's no way I could know. I didn't want to tell them that. I just said, I'm so sorry I didn't see you. Um, and we just need to give a little grace and mercy to one another. And if you're here today and I'm talking about you, please forgive me. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that I got mad and left. I don't know. But if you didn't, please forgive me. But. Just, just... (laughs) They're gone now? Oh, thank God. (laughs) But just extend mercy. And not just to me, but to everybody. Just extend mercy. And the fourth thing that's an enemy of faithfulness, and that is a lack of contentment. A lack of contentment. (sighs) Contentment is a learned condition. Say that with me out loud. Contentment is a learned condition. You don't just wake up one morning and somehow, boing, I'm so content. You don't get it by anybody laying hands on you. I speak contentment to you. It doesn't happen that way. How how does it come? It's learned. That's what it tells us, Philippians 4.11. It says it this way, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I have learned. Things are going great. Abundance, I learned to be content. Things are lean. Bills are due. I learn to be content. Whether Things are well or they're not well. I have learned to be content. It is a learned condition. It is the decision of our heart that our God knows best in our life and just because you go through dry periods or just because you go through times of of lack doesn't mean he doesn't love you it just It just means. That those are cycles of life that we go through. And so I just want to encourage you the greatest way to fight contentment is to constantly have a praise and expressing gratefulness in your heart. No wonder the Bible says in so many places give praise, give thanks. Express thanks to God, always rejoicing, rejoicing always, over and over and over. It tells us that we should express our praise. You know, one thing I've learned about, and that is the things that I'm most grateful for last the longest. And they're the most satisfying. And the things that you are not grateful for, you lose them. And they are not satisfying. So I just want to encourage you. Be people that are grateful. You know, South Louisiana, we've gone through periods. If y'all were around, remember in the late 70s, early 80s, when things were so tough here? They say that unemployment right now is around 6%. Early 80s, it was 19%. People were leaving here in droves. Oil jobs dried up completely. And we were a whole lot less diversified then for the economy. And people lost their homes. They were selling businesses and homes. A lot of people just abandoned their homes because they couldn't pay them. So we have been through some lean times in Homa, in this South Louisiana area. But I want to tell you, if you are faithful to the Lord, he takes care of you. He will sustain you. But it doesn't mean you you won't have to get out there and work hard. And you may not be able to work at, quote, your preferred job. One person, they kept saying they couldn't get a job, and I kept saying, well, what about this job? Well, that job is not commensurate with my education level. I just want to say, hey, forget what's commensurate, whatever that big word is, but... um, (laughs) If you've got to fry burgers, fry burgers. Whatever you have to do, do it. It's better than starving you to death, and it's better than sitting around feeling sorry for yourself. And you may have to do something that's not equal with your level of education. But if you're willing to work, God will take care of you. If you'll honor the Lord, He'll take care of you. Now, we've talked about four enemies, four enemies of faithfulness. But I want to talk to you what I believe is the key, the key to being faithful. And I believe I can say this with an honest heart. Then I say this because this is something I've had to live out myself. The key to being faithful is always be kingdom-minded. Always be kingdom-minded. What that means, it means everything you do has to be done for the kingdom of God and not for yourself. You see, I've learned that the motivation of why you do what you do means everything. If you're doing something to impress others, you quickly burn out. You quickly give out and you stop doing it because finally you just get tired of trying to impress people because they're not as impressed as you want them to be impressed. So you get tired. But if you do everything you do for the kingdom of God, then your motivation always comes from who He is and your praise and your honor to Him. And you want to bless the kingdom of God and you want to see the kingdom of God increase and you want to see people grow. And you know, being kingdom-minded, it takes away the whole idea of worrying about particular churches. We want every church and town that names the name of Jesus to do well. There should be no competition within churches. Why? Because we all want to advance the kingdom of God. You know, when when someone, and it happens, someone may leave this church and go to another church, they're not your enemy. You should love them. Be a friend to them. They're a part of you. You're a part of them just as much as they ever were. They're not a traitor now. They're they're just just going to a different church. You understand what I'm saying? You have to be kingdom-minded. And that mentality allows you to be faithful over a long period of time. And we have said this hundreds of times. You know, we welcome lots of people to come to our church. We're glad you come. And I pray, kind of like what Tina said this morning, we want you to be a part of us. We want you to be a part of our family. But if you go and become a part of another family, another church, that's good too. That's not bad. That's good too. What's bad is when you stay home and you don't do anything to advance the kingdom of God. You know, you get offended at church in general and you just stay at home. That's not good. I Had an unusual thing happen. This I'm going to say it had to be at least... Fifteen years ago. can't remember exactly. remember we were back on Valheim. And uh, remember I had a little... If you remember when we were at Valhine, we had this little tiny office in the back. It used to be the nursery. And uh, it was back there. And a pastor of one of the largest churches in town. It was larger than our church at the time. Um, we and I had become good friends... Nice guy. And so he called and said, Do you mind if I come talk to you? And I said, Sure. So we came over and sat down in my office. And he said, I just want to tell you. He said, I told my board, but he said, I want to tell you, you're a friend of mine. He said, I'm leaving. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. What church are you going to? He said, I'm not going anywhere. He said, I'm going to go run a a pet store in Florida I said what you're going to go from being a pastor of a large church to running a pet store you've got to be kidding he said no he said I've had it up to here he said I'm getting out I'm still a Christian but I've just had it with people all the disappointments all the frustrations. He said, I, I just, I'm giving up. And I never will forget when he walked out the door. I closed the door and I, I prayed. I said, Lord, don't ever, don't ever let that be me. I don't want to ever get in that kind of attitude. You just want to give up. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, Renee, as long as you be kingdom-minded, that'll never happen. Because your motivation is not to please other people. You don't get your sense of importance from other people. I mean, I love for you to love me, but the main thing is that I please him. And we're doing this for him. And everything I do, I do for him. And everything you do, you do for him. And when I get up in the morning, I'm excited about advancing the kingdom of God in whatever way I can advance the kingdom of God. So you don't serve because of other people or to impress them or to make them happy. And the way you get burned out is you're looking at the people, trying to please the people, and you can't please all the people. And then when you can't please all the people, then you get mad at the people (laughs) (laughs) And you finally get to a place where you just give up and you walk away. And I want to tell you, God doesn't want anybody walking away from the kingdom of God. He wants you to advance the kingdom of God. Pick what you can do and do it with all of your heart. And you know the great thing about the kingdom of God, sometimes that'll change. Change. Sometimes you'll serve in one area of of ministry and and serve, and you may switch. No, life changes. We grow, we we change, our kids grow up, and, and now all of a sudden we have a new area, an avenue of ministry. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But you never give up to the point where you get out of the kingdom of God. You never get a point where you don't want to make your life count for the kingdom of God. That should never happen. You slow down because you tire out, <laughs> but you never give up. And I don't know if you ever retire. You might just change what you do and where you do it, but you never retire from the kingdom of God. We are always going to be serving the king of kings. And, you know, all of this talk about faithfulness, It's only because you know the king. It's all about the kingdom of God, but you have to know Jesus as your Lord if you are going to be faithful and kingdom-minded. How can you be kingdom-minded unless you first know him as your Lord? He, He becomes your Lord when you surrender your life and say, Lord, it is not about me It is about you and your kingdom and I want to serve and honor you. But first that comes by having that relationship. It was so exciting uh, as we had water baptisms. I think we had 21 people water baptized. It's exciting. What is that a sign of? That is a sign that people have surrendered to Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life and they want to tell the world I have surrendered my life to Jesus. It's what has to happen. There are some people in this room today, and I know there are many people in this room that you have surrendered your life to Jesus. And I'm excited about that. But there are some people in this room, God has you here today, and you need to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Different from attending church. You can attend church and him not be your Lord. We're talking about lordship. That's an act of surrender. Let's pray. Lord, I worship you today, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. You've always been faithful. You've gotten us through every situation, and you are faithful. Lord, I ask you right now, in the precious name of Jesus, that you would draw people to you to surrender their heart and their life to Jesus. Lord, you have worked all week to get certain individuals here this morning. And you have been speaking to them all week. And you have been speaking to them through the worship And you've been speaking to them through this message. And right now, Lord, you're speaking to their heart that today they need to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. To be the Lord of their life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Great is your name. And Lord, I ask you by the Holy Spirit, you said no one comes unto the Father except the Father first draws him. And Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask you to draw people to you right now that they would be willing to be drawn by your Spirit to surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. I'm going to ask if you would, everyone to stand. And we're going to, sing that song about holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty that we sang a minute ago. And I want you to consider surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every person, if you would, to consider, if you've never done this before, I'm going to encourage you, make your way out of your chair, meet me right here. You want to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. God has some of you here this morning, and this is why you're here today. He's been speaking to your heart. I encourage you to come today. Make him the Lord of your life. Would you come? Would you just come and say, yes, I want to make him the Lord of my life. Anybody? Anybody? anybody anybody else yes yes young man come on anybody else thank you young man thank you for coming somebody else feel like god has some other people here this morning anybody else thank you thank you young lady going to do is we just want to pray. We're going to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of of your life. That you, and this is a surrender. This is a surrender to his Lordship to say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Okay. You want to pray? you willing to pray that? Pray with me. All right, good. All right. Let's, if y'all would just stretch out your hand, if you would, let's pray out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. I surrender my life to you Lord I declare Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life I acknowledge I'm a sinner I've fallen short I cannot save myself I have messed my life up and I ask you to help me Lord fill me with the Holy Spirit make me a brand new person In the name of Jesus, I surrender to you. Come in, Holy Spirit, and change me. Give me a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, and make me a new creation in Christ. Thank you, Lord. I am born again by the Spirit of God. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Praise your Lord. You know, that's the beginning. Amen. That is the beginning when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ.